Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardamus, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today, we're going to bring you another special episode from last year's Rise Up Summit. This year's Rise Up Summit is right around the corner, um, happening October 21st and 22nd. So make sure you sign up. It's completely free to attend at riseupchristianeducators.com. That's riseupchristianeducators.com. This was one of our live sessions from last year's summit with Dave Stewart Jr., where he talks about how to motivate students to care about learning. Now, I will say we did have a couple technical issues, so the sound quality on this recording might not be quite up to what you're used to, but the content was so good. I know you'll find this super, super valuable. And Dave is going to be back again at this year's summit uh, to kind of finish this conversation and talk more about it because as you'll see, we only really start to scratch the surface in this conversation and there is so much wisdom and insight that Dave has to share with us. So without further ado, here is that session. Thank you for being here, Dave. We're so excited for this session. Oh, so glad to be here. And to be heard. Yes, yes. We're very, very thankful. Yeah. All right. I think we're ready to dive in, Dave. Um, I, I I don't know how many, how many of you guys are familiar with Dave and his work? Um, because he is writes, uh, Dave, your website is DaveStewartJr.com. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll put it in the chat. Okay. Because awesome. you got to spell my name right. Oh, right. <laughs> That's important. Um, yeah. And you have been, I've been following your writing for a while and you write so many thoughtful and thought provoking things. And I'm just really excited to get to talk to, um, oh, talk to you about yeah. it today. Do you want to give Me people too. just a really quick thumbnail of sure. like, who you are and what you're up to so they know where we're coming sure. from? Sure. I will. Let me just take a sip of my coffee here, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, now, people were saying in the chat they couldn't hear me. Can you all hear me now? Someone just say, yes, Dave, I hear you, you goofball. Um, I am a high school teacher. I teach uh, ninth grade world history. I've taught uh, English most of my career, but world history lately. Um, it's in a public school, West Michigan. Um, I, I've been writing about teaching, the struggle of teaching, the, the goodness of teaching, um, the, the inner work of teaching for us as teachers. And uh, and helping our students with their inner work too. I've been doing that for about nine years now on my blog, DaveStewartJr.com, and uh, and yeah, I'm really excited to talk today, kind of about the what I think is at the core of student motivation, um, because I think this this topic is really important. It's important for those of us who love our students, which is all of us. Um, uh, out of out of a love for them, we, we want to help them to be motivated. So it's it's going to be a fun session this morning, and I thank everyone who's here to join us. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into this because this is it's just this issue affects so many other things too. So it's such an yeah. important important yeah. key. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So you've um, I'm we're trying we're trying to talk before like where do we want to start? Um, do you want to start with like your five part soul model? I felt like that was really yeah. helpful to understand. Yeah. So, um, you know, a little more context on me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Like many of you, I've, I've been for my entire career trying to apprentice myself to Jesus and increase my trust in him. Um, but I've always taught in public schools too. So, um, and I've, and I've, and I write, I write for a, for a general audience. So most of my audience, um, are, are secular people. I, I don't know their beliefs. So, 
this past summer, the reason I say that it was a big deal because I said basically, um, uh, students are our souls. It, it's more useful to think of our students as souls than um, the, the more common model, I think, which which is kind of like this. Okay, yeah, cool. We can see this thing. C- commonly, we just have a lot of confusion around what is a student and the way that we write about students. If you just look at our literature, look at our journals, look at our books about teaching, our most popular books, it just doesn't seem to be a lot of clarity about what a, a kid actually is or a young person is. So the, the the frequent impression that I get from the things that we write about students is that they're just kind of brains, you know, their brains on sticks, the brains on stick model sounds like, oh, my brain isn't happy today or my brain doesn't learn that way. Um, and I think that there's a lot to learn about the about teaching from from studying the brain, but but I think that this this five part conception of the human being, which I completely adopted from Dallas Willard, um, the great apprentice maker, the late great apprentice maker, who was a USC philosopher, um, and Dallas Willard in his book Renovation of the Heart talks about the human being as as sort of this five part soul model, and that didn't really mean anything to me practically as a teacher until I started to um, encounter this idea in different places and realize that like social emotional learning, yes, yeah, super important because like we're emotional creatures. Um, we, we, we are social creatures. If I was a better, if I was a better uh, graphic artist, there'd be, there'd be a bunch of little threads coming out from this, from this picture. But when I, when I do that, it looks really weird and distracting. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the, the little tiny threads would be people that we are just acquaintances with. Um, but, and then the really thick threads would be like the folks who were, who were the closest with, but, um, there's a, there's a couple, Bill and Christy Galtier who wrote a book called journey of the soul. Anyone read this book? It's so beautiful. Um, and in journey of the soul, they have this little innocuous statement where they say, you're, you're not just a body, you're, you're a soul. Your body is inside of your soul. Hold on, David. Okay, you're back. Sorry, we lost you for just a second, oh, but you're right back. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I was just saying that, that that we're bigger. We're bigger than our bodies, and so this seems super theoretical, but I think it begins to give us insight into what we can do about student motivation, because all of us are tasked, primarily in a school setting, with developing this this aspect of of our students. Um, I, I think that this is an important point. I think that most parents are sending their children to school, trusting that we're developing their minds. We're helping them to get better academically in the disciplines, understanding the disciplines and the arts. And but but like no one else is going to teach our students science. You know, no one else is going to teach my students world history. Probably, probably. Um, so 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 this is like this is like our primary job. All right, and it doesn't mean that we disregard we disregard emotions. Um, I, I always tell people I think we kind of need to try to be Mr. Rogers in reverse. <laughs> Mr. Rogers was he was teaching really social emotional learning, okay, but but along the way he would teach you about the world. He'd he'd take you to an art museum or a bowling alley and show you how the bowling alley worked, or or, or go talk to a musician. So we, we are teaching our students about the world. You're teaching them math. You're teaching them 
how to read as, as a, as a little learner, you're, you're teaching them how to public speak, teaching them how to run the mile in phys ed. We're teaching them about the world. And along the way we can do social emotional uh, learning and, and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm not saying ignore that, but be like Mr. Rogers in reverse. Okay. But the, but the, the place where we get, where we get really excited for this session is, is in this. And, and I think if you look at Jesus's pedagogy, it's all up in there. Um, the path to growing the mind is, is the heart, is the heart. And here I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, the will, the executive center of the human being. Um, and, so, and so that, that I think is a good place to start, Linda. You're right. So how do we influence that heart? How do we cultivate the conditions inside of that heart for young people to, uh, well, like, like, like the title says, to, to care? I, when I first, when I was reading through this, it really resonated with me in part because our website and our organization is called Teach for the Heart. And that is like, that is why we yeah. named it that in the beginning, because it was this recognition of um, true change happens on a mm. heart level. And I, like you said, that mm-hmm. you said, it's not, when we say heart, sometimes that in, like our context, we think, oh, emotion, like not as much right, right. Yeah, like our, our, our center or who yeah. we are. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that, that will, that, that center of our being. Mm-hmm. So I re- I really was like, yes, I love this, but it is challenging though, then to, to, it's one thing to understand that. Right. <laughs> it's oh, another yes. thing to work that out. Right. So and yeah. that's one thing. I mean, I've always, yeah. I don't feel like I understand it, you know, it's just right. kind of a work in progress for sure. Yeah. Um, so where do we go from there? Where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I love that so much. I, I think that one of the great things that the scriptures have given to Western culture is this idea of the, of the human heart, the center of the will. Um, It's super interesting. It's not just knowledge. There's one point in the scriptures, I can't remember exactly where, but Jesus is being questioned by the teachers of the law. And these people know, like, headwise, they're masters of the scripture. They've got most of it memorized. And Jesus says to them, you don't know the scripture or God. You don't know the scripture or God. And he's talking about a knowledge inside of the heart, inside of the will. So, um so so how do we how do we cultivate the right conditions for the heart inside the classroom is is yeah where I think we should go next. Um, so so first of all, what we need our students' hearts engaged. We need them signed up inside of themselves to do the work of reading or math or writing or whatever, because the only way to get better at anything as a human being is to is to do stuff, okay, and to do it with care. But if you look at most of most of um, most of our brothers and sisters teaching most most folks across you know the last hundred years. A lot of our emphasis in teaching has been on how to get kids to do work. How do we get them to do stuff? Um, you know, even even when I go and talk to teachers, sometimes any work, I can't get them to turn in any work. And it is important for students to do stuff, but the but the real holy grail, if if you will, for motivation is. How do you get them to do it with care? How do you get them to do it with care? And in a student setting, the, at the root, at the root of care, is it, these five key beliefs. And you, you see these all across, um, all across the literature for teaching today. You'll see these things mentioned or just explicitly, implicitly alluded to. 
And so I, I kind of think of these as, as like a, as like a little mountain. And as we talk about some of these, I think we can get at real practical ways of thinking about how to influence them. Linda, like you said, so, um, so, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just make sure we're following here. So we're saying like, we want our students to the path to head is through the heart. And mm-hmm. so it's not enough. Well, I mean, if students are doing it without care, I mean, I guess that's better than nothing, but like, if we yeah. really want, if they're really going to succeed, they need, they need to care. Right. It can't just be our care. They, they need to care. Right. So, we're, so you're, you're presenting your model and I love this model for yeah. how do we instill that care in, right. yep. in them, right? So these are all the different ways that we're going to be approaching this. And you call yeah. these the five key beliefs, right? Yeah. Before yeah. we get into can you explain a second about, about that? Like um, just why beliefs matter in this country? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the literature talks about like mindsets, like, like growth mindset, for example, is it's on this, this slide right here. Um, it's the, here we go. It's, it's the effort belief. Okay. But, it, but I think that this language about mindset is again, getting back to thinking We're talking about we're talking about the way that everyone in this in the session right now is related to chairs. Okay, all of us sit in chairs. Um, at, our, is our audio okay, Linda? Do you know? Every every now and then we'll lose you for like ten seconds, but it comes back. I'm not really sure if we can do anything. It's okay. I think we we're getting okay. we're getting all right. Minute, so. All right. All right. <laughs> So, so yeah, think about chairs. I, I, I don't ask you if you believe in chairs. I just see that you do because you sit in chairs and you sit in chairs unquestioningly. Like no one ever does this. <laughs> no one wonders, should I, should I really sit in chairs? Because throughout, through, through a thousand different avenues, we've determined not intellectually, but volitionally in our, in our will, we've, we've, we've internalized the fact that chairs can be trusted. We believe in chairs. We sit in chairs without thinking. We do this because we've felt with our bodies that they work. We've seen other people that they work. Um, and and that that is like how we want our students to believe these things about learning in our classes. We want this to be not just something that they can pair it back to us, but something that they just know the way that they know that chairs can be trusted. And the way that you influence belief is you you get you, you create an environment in which all the signals are pointing towards the veracity of these things. Yeah. Right. So really I think this will be a little more clear if if we talk about credibility. Let's do so them. Let's we go do that? them. Okay. Let's yeah, let's, let's do credibility. All right. So so credibility is um, stupidly powerful in a classroom. Um, credibility is what Jesus has. I think when people at the end of the Sermon on the Mount say, no, we've never heard anyone like this. Never heard anyone speak with this kind of authority. Um, I don't expect that we'll achieve that level of credibility, but I do think as his apprentices, we can, we can approach that, that, that same idea. So, uh, credibility is when a student says in their heart, this teacher's good at their job. He knows what she's doing. He knows what he's doing. She can take me to the next level. He cares about me. Um, he has the tools to make this learning possible for me. She is a really good teacher. Um, I want to make sure that we're differentiating here with credibility from like 
this teacher's really nice. This teacher's uh, really cool. They're really popular. Like all of those things that a lot of us have maybe been tempted to chase aren't credibility. Credibility is just, you're a good teacher. You're, you're a good teacher. Okay. And, and I just want to demonstrate one of the things that's true about these beliefs real quickly with credibility. So, so one thing that you have to understand with all of your students in the classroom is that they're all, for every one of these beliefs, so let's just think about credibility. Every student is somewhere on a spectrum. They're somewhere on a spectrum of belief. Okay. So maybe at the start of the year, you really, you really knock it out of the park. Okay. And your, and your student says, gosh, you're, this teacher's capable, caring, and passionate. It's totally, totally likely that a lot of people, a lot of people here have, have that going on. Okay. But let's say you start to kind of slip. You are late to class a few times. You, you hand some things back to students uh, maybe later than you told them that you would. You, you have a little uh, encounter with a student that's unpleasant and you don't totally hold your cool. Okay. This, this starts to shift the student toward questioning that belief. Is this teacher really credible? Is this, does he really care about us? And let's just say that that continues. You don't remedy any of these things. You can, you just kind of, um, you're, you're, you're getting more and more and more and more and more worn out as a teacher. You're not doing anything to take care of yourself. You're turning things back later and later. Um, you're, you're changing the schedule seemingly, um, with, with no reason. Over time, eventually this starts to shift you into the place where students um, just have unbelief, okay? Um, I, I think that the beautiful moment in the Gospels that this spectrum quality of belief is illustrated is when the man comes to Jesus about his son and, and Jesus says, well, you just got to believe. And, and um, the man says, well, I believe, help my unbelief. I think a lot of our students believe, but they need us to help with their unbelief. So for things like credibility, it's it's care, competence, and passion. How do we demonstrate to each one of our students consistently that we care about them as learners, as people? How do we continue to grow our competence? Some of our uh, colleagues in the session right now, maybe classroom management is a weakness. How can we just incrementally improve our classroom management? Um, that's a question that you want to pursue if you want to help your credibility. Maybe some of you are, um, you know, you, you struggle with time management and you start class kind of later than you want to, or, or you, you, you get done way too early with a lesson and there's, there's nothing less to do. Those are the types of things that influence our credibility too. Okay. And um, I think the most important thing with this is just to start caring about your credibility, start really thinking about that. How does the thing? How do the things that I'm doing as a teacher communicate to my students that that I know, that I know what I'm doing? And if if the answer to that is oh not good, that's like prime time prayer opportunity because the Lord loves those students. The Lord loves you. He wants to make you a more credible teacher. Absolutely. So if we start to ask Him, God, how can I improve as a classroom manager? Can you please show me something? I've seen in my own practice like then sure enough, I'll run into a colleague who's really got it and they'll give me a little tip and it'll just move me along. And I'm not perfect yet, but I'm, but I'm improving. And that's, that's what we're striving for with credibility. It's not about perfection. I, I, I showed us a, a really kind of depressing version of this spectrum, 
but but guess what? It it fl- can go the other way too, right? That student who thinks, "Oh my gosh, Mr. Stewart just does not care about us at all. He's bad at his job." I can over time help that help that child back to believing that, "Oh, he is a good teacher." Yeah. So credibility, so credibility <laughs> is it's in any classroom that you've ever visited, Linda and colleagues here, where where you're just like, "Wow, there's something about this place." Chances are one of the one of the somethings is credibility. It's that everyone in that room just kind of believes this this teacher, she's good. That's just it's I love that you like bring this out because I think this when when we all think about this, we're like, yes, this is so obvious, but it's I don't know, like we don't really talk like you're the first person that's actually really like talked about this because I mean I like I said, it's inside us. We're like, yeah, that's important, but just Someone even just said in the comments, <laughs> I never really thought about it. Just thinking about this is really helpful because, and there's, like you said, there's so much that goes into credibility. There's that classroom management, you know, classroom management, you know, no- knowledge of your subject, all these things. But yeah, I think sometimes we jump to like, how do I get students to care when it's like, okay, yeah. well, st- and you're saying, am I, am I understanding right? Like the, like the base layer is. Yeah. Do they believe in you or do they see your credibility in you? Yeah. If there's only one thing you can take from this session, take away credibility. Um, It's at the bottom of that little triangle I showed for a reason. It it is the base layer. And I think what's really neat about it in in a profession where we control so little, there's, there's a lot that we control when it comes to our credibility. Okay. Can't you can't do a thing about your students past, your students home life, you know, what what happened with last year's math teacher and your this year's math teacher. Can't do a thing, but you absolutely can think about care, competence and passion. Care, competence and passion. Those those three things. If you just hold on to those. Think how am I how am I sending signals about my care for my students, my my passion for this job, my my intensity of desire to see my students grow. That's what I'm talking about with passion and, and my competence. Man, we, we have a lot of control there, right? We have a lot of control. Yeah. Not, not perfect control. Some days you show up and, you know, your your microphone's not working and like, and, and you tested out the audio and, you know, that that's that, right? I mean, you, you brush that off. But but over time, pursuing credibility, you just get, you just get in this habit of sending out an overabundance of signals that, you're good at your job. You're good at your yeah. job. Not the best. Who cares about the best? Why are we so obsessed with being the best teacher <laughs> in the world? I think, I'm, I mean, I mean, honestly, I think, I think that that is, that that is such a trap of the enemy uh, trying to be the best teacher in the world. I, I think is absolutely, um, I, I, I think that, it, that it's a, it's an anti-Christian type of type of sentiment. I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. If you're trying to be the best teacher, I'm saying, I, I don't think Jesus is sitting there like, rooting on for you to be the best teacher. I think he wants you to be a good teacher. I think he wants you to love your students as if they're your own children, as if they're you. So yeah, be, be a good teacher. Totally. But, um, but yeah, let go of being best because you end up stressing yourself out and then you're going to be, you're going to like make more mistakes. I love that. That's such, such good advice, right? Because this doesn't mean perfectionism. This doesn't mean mm. we're always going to do like, no, no like, and no. that would almost be uncredible, right? Like that's not right. believable. 
yeah, it's yeah. just showing them like showing them all of it. And you're right. That's so intangible. I've, I've talked before about like the, there's like this intangible thing when you're like confident in your classroom and this, yeah. this is what it is. It's the credibility yeah. yes. and students yes. it's intangible, but it's so there. That's yeah. great. It, that used to frustrate me so much as an early career teacher, not being able to name, like, what is it? Here's teacher A, here's, <laughs> here's teacher B. And they're like totally different styles, personalities, um, subjects, but, but the same thing is happening. And you know what? I really think you're right, Linda. It's, it tends to be credibility. Everyone in the room just kind of thinks she's a good teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, All right. so credibility is fun. Credibility is fun. So I, if I'm listening to this, so I know we've got five, we've got five of these. So, well, and I and see some questions in here. Five, but yeah, right, right. But we, I have some questions here. People being like, "Well, what if the students don't care?" So, yeah, yeah. I, let me let me see if I'm understanding this. It, there's the pyramid here. There's the five beliefs, and yeah, we're only going to get through so okay. much. So you guys are going to have to go check out Dave's stuff. But if I'm a teacher, should I tackle these one at a time? Like, if I need help with credibility, should my focus be there, or, sure. or do you kind of work yeah. on them all simultaneously? I've 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 changed the order of these over the years. So read okay. read from the bottom up. Okay. And and that's that's kind of your uh, that's that's your order. Um, okay. Because, because the thing is with credibility, I can't like, as a teacher, at least I, I can't pull this off. I can't, I can't sit there and say, listen, I'm good at my job students. Yeah. So I call, I call them, this is a, this is a, this is not a student facing belief. Okay. But, but all the rest of them are. So, so if we look at, if we look at value here, you know, th- this work is valuable. It matters when I'm a credible teacher, I can speak to that. I can speak to the value of learning to become a better reader, writer, speaker, more knowledgeable about world history. I can just speak to that. And from my position of credibility, I can hope to influence it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, credibility is what is what is what earns you grace from a parent or or a student when you make a mistake. Uh, Credibility is also pursuing it. It's, it's, It's what gives you the internal resources and fortitude when you make a mistake to just say, you know what? I did make a mistake and you're not threatened by it. You're not threatened by it because over time you start to, you start to understand that you're good at teaching too, because you've intentionally pursued competence. You pursued competence, not perfection. Just you've pursued to be okay at your job. Yeah. Good at your job. That's awesome. Did you say there was another question? Um, Oh, there's some other questions, but man, can we can we talk about the next one? Can we talk about value a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to for sure get to value because that <laughs> that's really really fun. And I'll just I'll just point out to everybody um, that that on my blog, just write. I think we linked to some of these things in our on the session page too. I I, I just I, I promise to only take thirty seconds, but but like yeah, it's it. very easy to access. Um. All of so so if you're just on my website and you click blog up here, and then and then if you just scroll down, you'll see I've got a whole series on the beliefs right right here for all of you. Okay, so so yeah, we probably won't talk about efficacy or belonging, but you know I wrote a big old article, three things you can do to influence those. So so I'm just saying like me and Linda got this all planned out, everybody. Like we're gonna have a great conversation right now, but 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 uh. But we there's way, we more, talk way about, more to learn. <laughs> yeah. And, and what I really love about this is I'm is is to me, the more I reflect on this as an apprentice of Jesus, the more it's like I'm I'm learning how to love my students as if they were myself, because 
because because demotivation is painful. Human beings experience demotivating settings as pain. Okay, it's it's painful because I think as image bearers of God, that there's a certain level of autonomy. That there's a level of of reward and meaning that we're just made to experience. And so we know that on this side of glory, we won't always experience that. But you and I, as teachers, absolutely can increase the degree to which our students experience that in our classrooms. And, and, and we can do it teaching mathematics, teaching science, teaching you know third grade readers, teaching physical education, teaching art, music. We can do it in that setting. And, we, and we'll really do it if we just get better at cultivating these beliefs. So, so let's talk about value. Okay. I'm, I'm getting myself on track. Let's talk about value. So value is value is this work is valuable. It matters. It matters. Okay. And what I always like to tell people, the number one thing to understand here is that um, I, I can boil credibility, credibility down for you, care, competence, passion. I can boil that down, but value, you got to think about it as more like a rainbow. You got to think about the way that human beings arrive at valuing X. Let, let's just say um, reading Romeo and Juliet in ninth grade. The way that human beings arrive at valuing reading Romeo and Juliet is is myriad. Okay, so some of them may get there because they think that they'll use it someday. Probably, probably not too many of them. Some some of them maybe maybe the teacher does a good job of relating Romeo and Juliet to like teenage angst or relationships, and for some reason that catches them and they value it. Um, some of them maybe there's something that the teacher is going to do where. Kids can volunteer and they can they can share Shakespeare with with younger children. And so you want to really do good with Roman Juliet so you can so you can share that. Well, that's pro-social purpose. Okay. Someone maybe just maybe just find the language beautiful. They, they find the sonnets beautiful. Uh, the the monologues they, they think are just are just like there's something about iambic pentameter that just strikes a chord in their heart. All right. Someone just think it's fun. It's fun to be in a room together, listen to this different kind of language. Teacher lets you in on some of those little jokes that Shakespeare's making. Okay. Maybe some of them like the autonomy of learning how to use this language and so now they can go home and do it on themselves. Some like because it's novel. My point is there's just a lot of ways to arrive there. Okay. And I think this this is a very important message for all of all of my colleagues in here and, and me. The the best way to serve our students and love our students is to, as a teacher, try to try to paint with all the colors of this rainbow, all of the colors of this rainbow. Because what, what we tend to see, what we tend to see is that many students receive the same old message again and again and again. I don't, I don't think I have the Charlotte Mason quote here, but, but Charlotte Mason was a English um, amazing, amazing champion for education in Britain um, back in like the 1890s, 1900s. And Charlotte Mason has this line where she says, teachers absolutely need to be good at helping students to be motivated. Okay. And then she lists a couple of different ways. And, and it's a funny quote because she says like duty is one of the ways. And I always laugh because it's like, man, I've never tried that one. I don't think that would work with my, you know, 21st century kids. Duty, do it for duty. But, but, but what she says is profound is she says, but you never want to overuse any one approach because it could damage the child's character. Hmm. It could damage the child's character. And what I think that right now in this moment in education, particularly in the United States, at, at least I can speak for that 
is that we are so quick to try to tell students when they'll use something someday and how it relates to them. And I think over time, our students receive, you know, if, if we're looking at a pie chart of, of this rainbow, I think utility is just so big. And we sit there and we try to say, oh, you use Shakespeare someday when you're like, like we try to make Shakespeare useful or we try to make algebra useful someday. Like you're going to use algebra in the grocery store, you know? So, so, so we just try for that so quick. And, and I'm not saying that we do this because we're dumb. We do this because our students will frequently ask us, when am I ever going to use this? Okay. And so we, we, our gut is, well, I got to answer that question. So we go so much for utility and then so much for relevance. I, and, and, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all about connecting what we're learning in class with the hearts of my, my students. I just know though, I know that relevance is not the only way to do that. I, I don't have to like gamify world history to make it relevant to my students. I can instead have us have a debate about the, um, the, the, the biggest driver of the sugar trade in the early modern era. And I can teach my students how to have that argument in a way that's winsome and fun and rigorous and that, that they can discover that there's relevance even in things that I never would have thought on Monday that we'd be doing on Friday. And there's deep relevance for me here. This is totally relevant to me. And you know why? It's, it's because it's become meaningful for me to get to speak in class with my peers about this topic that very few people talk about. It's, it's become actually a little beautiful. So, so my big point here, Linda, is just, um, you know, and I, I often, even in, even with secular audiences, I'll use C.S. Lewis as an example, because Lewis in his apologetics and, and apologetics is really just value work. It's value belief work. You're trying to help people to value um, the, the, the veracity of, of Jesus Christ in Christian apologetics. But all of us are engaged, whether we know it or not, in, in academic apologetics. Okay. Cheryl teaches biology and chemistry. Whether whether she whether she knows it or not, does it intentionally or not, she's every day producing an apologetic in support of learning those things. Okay, but Lewis is the exemplar because Lewis is playing. Lewis is having fun. Lewis is conversing with someone that you can tell he respects. You read Mere Christianity, and there's there's not a second where he's like, "You're an idiot. Let me teach you something." No, Lewis loves you. So Lewis wants to play with you and. And take your mind on, on some angles toward Christianity that you've never even been down. That's what we need to do with the value belief in our classrooms. We want to be like the C.S. Lewis of, you know, biology and chemistry. Wow. There's just so much here. That's really, really great. And just yeah, we had to get to this one, you see? Yeah, this is fun. definitely. <laughs> and just that takeaway of like, not like you said, in extreme, I'm understanding it's not that we don't try to make it relevant or we don't no. try to show how it's useful, but there's so much more to this rainbow. Right, <laughs> and right. if we can like, you know, yeah. Like just helping yeah. students see the beauty or see. Right. And what you're saying too, is that like different, it might hit different people at different time. All of these yes. might hit different people in different spaces. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like a one size fits all thing. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's why you're sending out just, you're, you're trying to instinctively send out a thousand signals about value. Um, and then really, you know, to bring it back to our faith, you're trusting the father and the Holy spirit to do what, what they will do. And I think Jesus had the exact same approach. 
I recently looked back at the gospels and it's like, why is he not sealing the deal with more of these people? Why is he giving the sermon on the Mount? And then what, like, where's all the follow-up apparatus? Like, does he even love the people he's talked to? Yeah, of course he loves the people he's talking to, but he trusts father to do what father does. And he, father's going to be with those people every single second. Cause he's watching sparrows right now. So you know, Jesus lets God, lets the Father do what the Father does, and Jesus does what Jesus does. Holy Spirit does what He does, and and I think that that's a really cool thing for us too. There's a, there's a cool story from uh, Fred Rogers, oh, amazing book, The Simple Faith of Mister Rogers. Such a beautiful book. I never knew this guy was such a brother in the Lord. Never knew. Okay, and I think he's such an exemplar for us because you know Fred Rogers impact the hearts of, a, of, a, of millions of people. Fred Rogers loved his neighbor as himself. And Fred Rogers the whole time, there's, there's a story in the book where he says, every day before he went to work, he would pray that the Holy Spirit would make sacred the, the distance between the, between the screen and the hearts of the person watching the show. Mm-hmm. Every day he's praying that. Wow. And I think like, talk about a prayer that we can, that we can take and talk about a depressurizing prayer. All Fred Rogers has to do today now is make an episode about whatever, playing with your friends who are tigers. Like, and, and he needs to knock it out of the park and just do a good job, and and and, and kind of look like Jesus while he's doing it with the people he's working with and stuff. That's with the five key beliefs. I love the fact that I can't control if a student believes these things. I can't control that. That 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 heart level of the student is is their domain and, and the Lord's. I can't control it. But man, I can send out a bajillion signals. I can pray that they'll come to value their education as something that's fundamentally valuable, not just relevant or useful. I love that. So so my I don't know if other teachers' minds go the same place, but my mind goes, okay, like I see this. This is really helpful, really beautiful, even just seeing mm. this. Um, what is this? Like, how do <laughs> my yeah. daughter, I always go to the how, so how yeah. do I start incorporating more of this? Like, do you have right. any recommendations on like, if I'm like, okay, I see these I'll, first thing I would do is maybe like print this out, <laughs> like kind of yeah. so I, I can see them and they can be in my yep. mind. Um, do you good. have any other advice of kind of just like first steps? If I'm like, I want to, you know, use more of the rainbow versus just one or two pieces yeah. of this. Okay. Um, I, I'll give you two ideas. Neither of which are mine. One is from uh, Brian Stabnick in New York. He teaches in New York State. I forget where. He has a, a a podcast that probably a lot of people listen to, Talks with Teachers. Okay. But Brian has this idea, and I forget even where I saw this, somewhere on his blog, but he calls it sermonizing. Okay. And, and it's funny because I, I don't know if Brian's a believer or not, but he calls it yeah. sermonizing. And for the last three three or so minutes of his class, he teaches teaches some kind of high school class. But notice it's, it's three minutes long. He, he understands attention spans. Um, and Brian will spend three minutes just taking a crack at explaining to students why this super old poem is worth reading today. And what he's doing there is approaching the value belief. So if you try to if you try the sermonizing approach this next week and you try to just take just I mean, do two minutes, do 60 minutes. You never want to listen to me for 60 minutes. Got something to say about today's lesson. They'll be they'll be intrigued if, if you approach that with just a little bit of gravitas. 
<laughs> um, and, and you look at your printout, just like you said, Lenny, you say, okay, I'm going to try for pro-social purpose. And you just open yourself up to what the Holy Spirit might have for you to say about how today's lesson can help them to make the world better. That's all pro-social purposes. Pro-social purpose is like a psychology term for the hyper-motivating thing for young people of making the world better. Okay. And so, you you know, maybe it's a story. You tell a story of someone, maybe some TED talk you saw, maybe it's something that you heard in the news. Maybe it's someone that you met this last weekend and you just say, you know what? I was just thinking about today. We worked on writing. We, we, or we were in this math problem. It was really difficult. And it reminds me of the story that I heard this weekend is this individual who they were, they were so concerned about, um, you know, allevi- alleviating global poverty. It, that's one of the sessions here at rise up, right? Some, mm-hmm. there's something. Okay. I remember it's seeing that. Fund your fund, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, and you know what? They told this story about how it was so hard at first to do that. And there were so many problems and it really just reminded me of what we just did in class. I know that, might seem kind of weird, students, but it really reminded me of that because you all just persevered on a math problem. And who knows what you'll persevere at someday. Drop the mic. Walk, like, don't <laughs> don't say anything else. You know, that's another Jesus thing. Oh, he, not he go bo- too far. <laughs> he, right. He he will explode your mind. And then a lot of our gut instinct is, okay, now I got to seal the deal. Like, no, just, okay, see you guys tomorrow. You know, I mean, you just, you're just done. And then they're, then they're just like... Dang, that got got kind of deep right there. I didn't even So that's sermonizing. And that's that's a cool thing to play around with. Um, The other thing, I don't know what to call this, but I was. There's a school in Utah that I've been working with over Zoom and and on the five key beliefs. And she said, one of the teachers said. uh, She said, oh, yeah, I I was just showing my students the dash the other day in in my writing class, the, the dash or something. And then, and then she saw a student use a dash and she just real quick was like, Hey, can I share this with the class? And she showed it to the class. She said, look at that. Look at that use of the dash. Oh man. When I saw that, I got so excited. I really liked that use of the dash. It just changed the whole rhythm of, you know, the, the writing done. She's done. She puts it back. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you guys. Keep going. She says, I saw two other students use the dash that day who, who have never used it before. Okay. What, what she did is just celebrated something. Like, like authentically, she as a writing teacher, you know, we, we would call it like, like a nerd or, or whatever. And, and she would too, but, but like, she's just letting herself love something that she loves and she's doing it publicly and she's not taking a bunch of time and, and notice the attention's not really on her. It's on the work. It, it's, it's on writing. Okay. Cause uh, in too many of our classrooms, the teacher is just like the center of the, of the universe. We don't want that. Parker Palmer has this picture where he says the great classes are the teacher and the students are all sitting in a circle around a bonfire and the, and the fire is the discipline. It, it's, it's math, it's science, it's writing, it's, it's whatever it's physical education. Okay. This is what's giving us heat. This is why we're in a circle, this thing that's inherently good and beautiful. And so I don't, I don't want to be the center of my classroom. Dave Stewart, the center of his classroom. No, no. And that's not like a false humility thing. It's just a dude, world history is way cooler than me. You know, <laughs> like, like, like this way of thinking, these things that you're learning, these will be with you so much longer than me. I, I love you guys. Like, I want to keep in touch with you. Count me in on your life. Like, but I also accept I'm only a sliver of a sliver of your life. I'm not trying to be any more than that. I, I understand my role. So I think those two things celebrate something cool that you see. 
Okay. Um, and, and, uh, sermonize. sermonize. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Brian Stabnick. Brian Stabnick. Yep. And people are asking, how do you spell Brian's last name? They want to look him up. <laughs> okay. Know? Yeah. It's, that's or, a great or question. Or the name of the podcast again. It's talks with teachers. I just put it in the, in the, uh, okay. in the chat. It's S-Z-A-B-N-I-K. Okay. Yeah. So you, you are going to want to double check the spelling on that one. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Wow. This has been so good. So good. I know. Super fun. Yeah. yeah Do we I've... have time to, to dip our toe into the next one at all? Oh, we, we can, we can t- dip a toe. Minutes, so. All right. We can probably dip, we can <laughs> probably dip a couple so toes in there. <laughs> all right. right. Let's get a couple toes in there. I like talking about this one too, because the effort belief is, is really misunderstood. And as you're finding that, I will tell people, you guys, we link to a bunch of stuff. And some people mentioned it here. Dave has amazing courses. He His blogs, like we link to a bunch of stuff on the session page and it's all on his website. So if you're like, I want more, <laughs> go to his website, yeah. get, get on his email list. And honestly, get on his email list because then you'll like every week you'll get one of these. It's really great. So anyhow. Okay. Sorry. Little, little inter- interlude there. Let's effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, please do. And I, I've been putting, uh, putting videos on YouTube twice a week lately. So you can find me on there too. And they're, they're short little encapsulations of the things that I write about. Um, okay. All right. Effort belief. We just, the, the key thing to understand here is that it's, is that it's growth mindset, but not the way most people think about growth mindset. Okay. Um, I, I think psychology has contributed a ton to our profession and to this world. I, I love, I love psychology. Uh, but but this idea of a mindset, it sounds like some sort, sort of magic button. All that you're doing with growth mindset is you're trying to help a person to believe that they have room to still grow and that that growth is possible. OK, so you, you actually tend to have students who struggle with the effort belief on both sides of the spectrum of ability in your class. Um, yes, the students who are who are low in your class, maybe they're not they're not as good of a writer as the other people in the class, whatever, like, yep. A lot of times those students will not think that their effort is ever going to pay off and make them better. Okay. But also some of your more advanced students can believe this too. And they can kind of think that there, there's no more room for me to grow. Um, and, and so the best thing that you can do for growth mindset for effort, the effort belief is uh, first of all, first and foremost, make sure that everyone understands what, what good effort looks like. And for this, I will turn to someone much uh, wiser than myself, John Wooden. I'm not going to read this to you, but I want you to understand that this is what John Wooden would do on the first day of his basketball practices at UCLA. John Wooden would take these college athletes, nationally recruited athletes, been playing basketball since before they could walk, probably. And he would teach them to put on their socks and their shoes. And he would do this with a very like laughable level of detail. It's, it's laughable to me, but, but he was serious when he did this, he was not trying to, this wasn't a gimmick to him, but like, I mean, you know, you, you can't permit your socks to have wrinkles around the little toe where you generally get blisters or around the heels. Like this guy is going crazy in depth on how to put on socks and shoes the first day of practice. Okay. What he's, what he's doing right there is he's making sure that every player on that team from best to worst understands all of us need to attend to the details 
No one's above it. No one's below it. Everyone in this room will get good, solid instruction. I'm not going to waste your time. I don't, I don't think he taught this lesson ever again. Okay, but everyone will get the fundamentals for what you need to be successful in here. And he'd build from there. So my question to teachers is always, what are those things that you wish all of your students did very well? Me, I wish students studied effectively. Um, I wish students would take notes on purpose because they're trying to learn, not just because I told them to, not just because you're supposed to do it in this format. Um, I, I wish all my students would ask questions when they're confused. Okay, so each one of those things then needs to be something that you and I teach explicitly, model again and again. And and, and this is not in a way that's that, that we're trying to be boring, all right? No, none of us should be should be proud of making our students bored. Some things are boring, okay, and that's and that's just true. But 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 like, I'm, when I'm modeling my students how to take notes in my class for the fifteenth time, I, I'm not like you know I'm trying to be lighthearted about it. I'm trying to say, okay, you know, right here, what what are you all writing down after, after this little clip that we just saw on the screen? All right, here's here's what I wrote. Here's why I wrote that. But I, but I, at this point in the year, eight, eight, nine weeks in, I can tell you all my students are way better at taking notes than they used to be because we've just used, we've used class time where we're learning things. We're learning things about world history. All right. I'm, I'm not having them take notes on random stuff. It's, it's on stuff we're learning this week. But as we're learning that, I'm teaching them how to take notes. So now they know how to take notes. And, and, and we, we, I think if, if you want all your students to think, if I work hard at this, I'll get better. I want, I want, if you want all your students to, to think that in their heart, here we go. Then one of the first things to do is make sure that that's true, which means that you have to make sure that they're working hard in the right way. Mm, okay. Cause there's a lot effort. of bad ways to take notes. Right. Right. Smart effort. But we, we shouldn't assume our students know how to, how to do smart effort. Um, and that's not like a me insulting them thing. It's just, a, I'm just going to make sure. Like John Wooden, mad respect for his players. He loved his players. But he still taught them how to put in their socks, <laughs> which is ridiculous. That's just, this is a really, I want to just magnify that point you just made, though. Because I do think this is like a common error. And it's like you just pinpointed it. Where we want our students to try and improve, but we don't give them the knowledge and the tools to do it the right way. We just think like they should, they should know, or they should figure it out. Or like, maybe we just doesn't even occur to us. And I see this error so often where it's like, you know, where kids are like, I want to do better in math. I want to do better in history. I'm trying, but I don't like, I, I can't figure out what to do to be successful in this class. And, Mm. and then that leads to like the, I tried, I tried, I tried, and it's not, I'm still getting a horrible grade or whatever it is. So I love that concept of just like making sure, and some of us do this naturally. Some of us, it's just, this just comes naturally, but I think there's a lot for some, a lot of teachers like this doesn't come naturally. And so you're saying like, really think through what do students need to do to be successful and then teach them how to do that Yeah. so that they're doing the, if you're like, why don't students do this? Did we, did we teach them to, did we show them how to do that? That's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jennifer asked a related question here. She said, she's had a student say, you're a good teacher, but we're a bad class. How can I help them realize that they're capable of learning if they acknowledge 
that I'm a good teacher, but my students still believe they aren't just capable. They, 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 that they just aren't capable. And, and I think that this, this is part of the equation. Okay. It, it's make, it's like, okay, guys, listen, I know that y'all think that a lot of you think that you're bad at X. I, I don't know what Jennifer teaches, but a lot of you think that you're bad at this. All right. This unit, we're going to all try to succeed at something. We're going to try doing this and I'm going to teach from the ground level how to, how to be successful here. Okay. So there's, that's where Jennifer just, just needs to break down. What are those specific things? What are the socks and shoes of, of her area? But then the other side of what her students may be getting at is they, they think that they're a bad class because they haven't succeeded. Okay. So I don't think I have this slide here, but, um, but, but the efficacy belief, the belief that we can succeed, it, it works right in, in, um, concert with the effort belief. I'll just pull this up right here because it, it'll be so much clearer when I just show you all this, okay. this picture. So this, um, so these things work in, in like a flywheel. Okay. So, um, and I don't know if people's color is, is sharp enough for this. I picked yeah, two I colors that are very close. Okay. <laughs> but the effort is pink. Efficacy is purple. So first of all, we can we can influence this up here when we just teach wise strategic effort. So whatever it is that Jennifer's trying to get students to be good at, having a debate in class or writing an essay, we teach the wise specific effort, wise strategic effort. We teach it specifically. We model it. We show them. We walk around and look over their shoulders and make sure that they're understanding. Okay. Um, now, the likelihood increases that our students will get good results from that effort. The likelihood increases. I didn't say it's guaranteed, but the likelihood increases because they're putting forth good effort. Okay. Now the good results, that's that's efficacy, that's success. All right. And what that does is it gives students proof. And people need proof for belief. Okay. Um, and so much of what Jesus is trying to do is he helps people to believe is, yeah, once in a while he'll do a miracle, but a lot of his teaching is just, I'm trying to help you to see the proof that's right in front of your face. Okay. Like, like when he, when he talks about this sparrow and the lilies of the field and, and, and teaching about anxiety, he's saying that proof's right in front of us of the goodness of the father, the trustworthiness of the father. We as teachers sometimes need to help our students to see the proof that they can succeed, see the proof that their effort can, can pay off. And, and the best way to do that, Jennifer, is how can you get them to succeed? What, what would it look like to get them to succeed at something hard as a class? Where to get most of them to succeed at something hard, and I'm asking, I'm asking you that. Not what your district says is hard. Not what, not what the state test says is hard. Let, let's just take all that stuff away for a second. What would it look like for you to create a learning sequence where they were going to succeed at something hard that matters for your discipline? And then break that all the way down to the socks and shoes. Look over their shoulders while they're doing it. Tell them that you love them and that we're doing this hard thing because I respect you. And it's not going to be a magic bullet, but I do believe it'll, it'll help, you know? And you look that student in the eye who said, you're a good teacher. We're a bad class. You say, I love you guys. You know what? And, and we're, we're not done. The school year's not done. So, um, cause, cause that student gave you the gift of, of kind of showing their heart. That's a, that's a very precious thing to say. It's obviously a sad thing. I feel for you, Jennifer. I, I do. I know that's heavy, but 
I think that this on this on screen can help all of us to start to make that better. Yeah. I love that. And that's a good reminder too, that this is not like a quick fix. <laughs> this isn't no. like, Oh, I implement this on Monday. And by Tuesday, my students are feeling like this is just like daily. Right. And we're kind of yeah. trusting in time. It will make a difference. It's not going to be like real quick. Right. Yeah. I, I, I tell people sometimes you got to think of this as not a switchboard, but a garden. Mm. Um, Jesus doesn't use too many switchboard analogies. And he knew the future, so he, I mean, he could have <laughs> would have been super confusing, but um, but but he used a lot of agricultural analogies, and I think that that there's a there's a deep beauty to the analogy of agriculture because there's stuff you control and that you do as the farmer, as the gardener. Absolutely, you're responsible, and there's also stuff that you do not do. You did not place the power inside of that seed. You have not placed the heart inside of your students. Um, you can't make belief grow, but gosh, if you can't water it, if you can't fertilize it, that was, that, that's, you can't make belief grow, but you can right. water it. That is, that is amazing. Yeah. It's very helpful. Well, Dave, oh my goodness. I wish we could keep talking for another hour, but we got, we got, hey, there's a lot, lot more stuff on the docket. So- Yes. So head to Dave's website, get his info. We will link to a bunch of stuff from this session page and we're going to have a discussion room. So you guys can talk about it with each other here in just a second. Do you have any like final piece of advice that you want to leave it, leave people with? Well, I just, I just, uh, I I do ask the Lord's blessing over all of you. You know, I think that this, this time that you're taking today on a Saturday to to come and, and learn and be encouraged, like it's, it's not inconsequential. It's not just a Saturday. So may he bless and keep you, make his face shine on you, lift his countenance upon you, and give you love, joy, and hope, and peace. And a good rest this weekend, and um, just give you the opportunity to grow in godliness as you as you teach. Yeah. Yes. I hope you guys enjoyed this session with Dave. Um, as I said, it's so full of so much wisdom and insight. And Dave will be back again at the Rise Up Summit October 22nd, actually, on Saturday. Um, he'll be here live to continue this conversation. We're going to be focusing in specifically on the beliefs of effort and efficacy. That is helping students realize that when they put in hard work and smart effort, that it pays off and that it's worth it. Um, so definitely you won't want to miss it. It's free to attend. Head to riseupchristianeducators.com to sign up for free. If for some reason you cannot make it during that weekend, um, just so you know, there is um, going to be an all-access pass available that you can purchase for just a small amount um, that you can then keep access to all the recordings and watch at your own pace. So once again, it's completely free at riseupchristianeducators.com. But if you want to purchase the all-access pass to keep access to all the sessions, that will be an option after you sign up. So I just want you to let you know that that is available as well. And I hope you will invite your friends um, to join you so that you can discuss what you're learning together. RiseUpChristianEducators.com. Well, thank you guys again so much. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. In the meantime, keep growing, keep trusting. You really are making a difference.